Sometimes a hero wears a cape. Sometimes heroes do science. And sometimes heroes have to put highbrow officers in their place while learning how to be good commanders in the Napoleonic Wars and also having sex with a lot of women. We're talking about Sharp. Richard Sharp, the star of British novels and then British TV shows that I've said were BBC. They're actually ITV. Uh, and it's Sean Bean in a series of basically TV movies that have a lot of great questions to ask about the Napoleonic Wars, about warfare, about class, about gender. And we're going to talk about all of that with myself and Paul Hoppy right after this. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. I am joined as somewhat regularly, but still not an actual co-host by any stretch of the imagination, Paul Hoppy. Paul, how are we doing today? We're doing good. Um, I mentioned on our last podcast that we recorded podcast uh, that we recorded very recently, um, like this morning, uh-huh. <laughs> that um, that I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. It's not because I stayed up watching more episodes of Sharp. I stayed up. Because I couldn't fall asleep, and I realized I wasn't going to fall asleep, so I ended up watching uh, another right. episode of Sharp, which is really a series of films. Yeah, right. It's it is it, it's funny because it's listed on the the streaming service where it's listed as having seasons, and I said this to Paul, and Paul was like, "What do you mean seasons?" Because yeah. <laughs> it was the if you remember during PBS Pledge Drives, they would often show. Uh, BBC stuff. Uh, that's where I watched I Claudius for the first time. That's where I watched Faulty Towers and a lot of other stuff. This started airing a little bit later. And so I never caught it originally, but Paul had seen it. And it is, first of all, so there's a series of novels uh, about this character named Richard Sharp, who is based on a real character, by the way. And we'll get into that in a little bit. And ITV, this British television station, basically made a series of movies and but they were released on television and i guess they kind of have like things that hold them together so they're grouped in seasons i think maybe they were released all in the same year or something like that but they're all about one an hour 20 to an hour 40 they all have a fairly distinctive beginning middle and end and then many of them pick like continue characters or continue plot lines from the other but they're basically a series of standalone movies and in this we're basically going to introduce you to the characters, the concepts, the ideas that are being discussed, reference some things from, um, I have seen the first five movies, what are listed online in season one and season two. Paul has seen all of them at various, well, most of them at various points, but some many, many years ago and read a lot of the books. We're going to be talking about them in general. Some of these specific movies we may go into more detail about, but um, we'll give you just kind of a brief overview of what they're about and who the character is. But let me just start with Paul. What what was it that drew you to these novels and books and, and su- were ones that you suggested to me as things we could talk about? Yeah. So, my mom goes through actor phases where basically she'll see something, think an actor's fantastic in it, be correct, of course, because her acting mm-hmm. taste is impeccable, and then watch literally everything that person has ever been in. <laughs> and yeah. so, she watched a an adaptation of Clarissa, the Samuel Richardson novel, and Either the or one of the longest were, uh, books or novels in the English language. It's like a million words, like 1,500 pages. Okay. It's ridiculous. So they made a series of that. And yet, even with all that words, this Clarissa does not explain it all. It's a different movie, different character. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, Sharp played 
uh, Sharp, Sean Bean played the, I guess, villain antagonist um, in that mm-hmm. Lovelace, right? And uh, so then my mom started just watching everything it was in, which included this Sharp series. Um, and she had had this uh, real interest in the T- Napoleonic Wars and and Napoleon, I think, more more specifically, um, probably less about the wars and more about, you know, the other stuff going on. But mm-hmm. so so she was watching these and she and she was just like, I think you might like this, you know, and, you know, we recorded them on VHS as one did at the time in the yep. this was probably like 1997, because when I remember really watching these was um, after I'd left college, which, you know, I attended very briefly Um I read more books in the next six months than I had read in the entirety of high school and college. And part of that was this, where I watched this series. I think it's a really good series. Um, and it sparked an interest in like history generally, right? And specifically, yeah. um, you know, I read all the novels that were available at the time, I believe. Then some more came out later that were about sort of backstory stuff. Um, but I read all of the the main, you know, the core novels and and watched the entirety of the series as had been produced by then. I think May of 97 is, you know, spoilers. It's titled Sharp's Waterloo, right? And, right. you know, as one who's heard anything about the Napoleonic Wars, <laughs> that probably uh, rings a bell. Maybe you're thinking about ABBA, but generally it, it probably, you know, gives you an indication of what happens in the stories. Um, well, and even the first line of the ABBA song says, aha, at Waterloo, Napoleon was did surrender. Right. So, so even, if, even if you're just an ABBA fan, you still know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and then they went and made some in 2006, which I do not believe I've seen. Um, and those okay. are... There's like stuff that takes place in India, which I'm really curious to see how this character and the story plays in Mm -hmm. the British occupation of India, right? Um, So I'm curious about that, but also kind of afraid. Um, You know, it's interesting because in this war, it's like if you had to ask me which side I would be on, like – I'm not a proponent of Napoleon and the, you know, the French empire becoming an empire and going in and and invading a bunch of countries. But at the same time, like overthrowing the monarchy, overthrowing, you know, um, theocratic rule. Yeah, let's do that. You know? Yeah. So, so it's interesting. Um, but you know, the series, I'd say it doesn't paint a picture of, you know, rah, 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 merry old England. You know, it's like, it's, I think, very critical of a lot of things about the culture and about maybe yeah. not as much specifically the war itself. Because I think, you know, thinking about the series, I'm like, yeah, is this the last like war that, you know, the British can be like, yeah, yeah, we won that one. Like we just, we just won it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of other colonial wars they get to say that okay. about for the yeah. next century. Well, one that you can maybe feel good about the way, like Saving Private Ryan, you know, in the U.S., people mm-hmm. made that and were like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, we this is a war that the U.S. was fighting against the Nazis, and so we can make a yeah. gung ho kind of war movie about it, as opposed to Vietnam. And if you want to listen to our thoughts on America being 100% the good guy in World War II. Last week, we put an episode out about Gojira, the Godzilla <laughs> movies, and that I have some thoughts on that. But for this, yeah, let me give a quick kind of summary of what these movies are about. So, in the first one, and there will be some spoilers here. We're not going to spoil too much, but, you know, it. 
I think it's going to be kind of trailer level of spoilers. We yeah. may go deeper. So I agree. I you agree. can always stop and watch them and then come back. But basically, the movies start with um, Richard Sharp as uh, an enlisted man, yeah. not an officer. A sergeant. It's a very uh, – a sergeant, a very specific distinction in England, as we're going to learn. And he happens to be on a battlefield at the same time as the person who will eventually become Wellington, the Duke of Wellington. I think his name is Wellesley at this point. That's correct. Um, is almost killed by the French and and Sharp rescues them and and kills the French snipers who are trying to kill Wellesley or the people who are trying to attack him. Wellesley is deeply impressed by him and immediately promotes him to lieutenant, which kind of kickstarts the the plot because it it does two things. One, it puts him in command, and so a lot of the movies are then about him learning to be in command, and then also about him dealing with command and then the people he's commander of. But also, and we learned this in the first movie, in England at the time, as in many societies, but especially in England, there's a very rigid class system in India. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a very rigid class system in England that applies to the army as well. And part of that is that um, officers are all gentlemen. And by gentlemen, I don't just mean like the way you would use that today it specifically means noblemen, people from the upper classes in Britain. Um, I think it specifically means part of the nobility uh, in some ways, like landed people in some way, but it may also mean people who are in the kind of bought their way into the upper class. And certainly at this time, people could buy officerships with no actual military training. It, it did happen from time to time that a person would be enlisted from, basically promoted from the enlisted men into being an officer. But it was often regarded as a bad idea, and so most of the officers are very reluctant to have Sharp be an officer, and they're constantly talking about how he doesn't know the right manners. There's an idea of like you know, you know, men are brutes, and so they must be led by a gentleman. Um, and we're obviously frequently given the proof that that is not correct by any means. It's very much a like, you know, man from the the hard scrabble does good. But an interesting twist on this trope that I think actually really works and does feel believable, some of the people who most object to him being an officer are not just the other officers, but the other enlisted men. Because they're also used to, like, they've kind of bought into a lot of the system and, and have a real sense of like, no, 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 it's got to be one of those officers who commands us. I'm not going to listen to one of us, just another, you know, piece of scum like us. And, and part of that is that, part of that is, I think, a sense of like, you know, we all have to stay on the bottom or else, you know, if anyone rises to the top, then we have to wonder why we aren't rising to the top and the unfairness of that. And like, there's a lot of different reasons, but definitely they're very uncomfortable with him being an officer. And so with that kind of general tension set up, he then goes on a lot of adventures and they're, the ones we've seen at least, they're, they're set during what's called the Peninsula Campaign of the Napoleonic Wars, which is starting in around like 1807 and going all the way into 1815 eventually. Uh, this is the fight where Napoleon had invaded Spain, put his brother onto the throne of Spain, and basically been kind of ruling Spain as a client state. Uh, a lot of the Spanish were fighting back, and the English joined the Spanish in that fight. And so it's the fight, theoretically, of, of the French against the English and Spanish, but there's a lot of times where the Spanish are not really quite sure where they fit, or different sides of the Spanish are fighting against each other. And then Sharp just gets to have a lot of fun adventures in the midst of all of that. Um, 
I made a reference to his love life. Um, mm. I have often wondered why Sean Bean, who I think is a very attractive person in a pretty particular kind of a way, isn't often uh, presented as a love interest in the things he's in. Apparently, it's because he did all of that in this show. Um, <laughs> the only women who he's not paired with romantically, it's because they've already been established are paired with one of his men or someone else. <laughs> um, I read a description of the novels. Uh, the novels say that they are uh, times where he um, – the exact quote was – uh, he soldiered, fought, and shagged his way through the Napoleonic Wars. So apparently that's common. I think there's a – they definitely feel like kind of like a, a play on the James Bond trope in British literature in these books. Um, but yeah, I think – so they're a lot of fun. There's sometimes a very powerful emotional stuff. The fight scenes are for television in the 90s uh, in Britain. I think, you know, it's not the most realistic looking stuff sometimes, but I think it gives you a pretty accurate picture of what warfare at the time would have been like, and they're pretty fun scenes. Uh, and yeah, I think they just raise a lot of fun questions. Uh, did I give kind of a good summary of the the main report? What did I miss? Yeah, I think that's that's the gist of it. You know, I, I think um, I would just highlight a couple of secondary characters that I wouldn't, without getting too deeply into them. Um, but yeah, well, first you mentioned James Bond. And it's funny because I think the first thing I actually literally saw him in was Goldeneye. Um, oh, I didn't even know he's in that. He That's plays funny. 006. He's he's the spoilers for Goldeneye, the main antagonist. Oh, interesting. He plays okay. Alec. Um, and he probably got that role because he did the Sharp series. <laughs> so, you know, I saw him the one thing. But I didn't even uh-huh. – like, I didn't even realize it. I went back and saw it. And, you know, the yeah. the nice thing about the, you know, the Sharp series is, like, if you feel like watching something where Sean Bean survives two hours of <laughs> story, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know. Um, it, he gets lots of love and he doesn't get killed. Exactly. It's like uh, then everything I saw him in since then, I was like, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> Where's the guy I saw in Sharp? Um, I mean, right? the acting is similar, but, you know. Um, yeah, I'd say just two kind of critical characters. One is uh, Sergeant Harper, who is not a sergeant at first, right? Um, Sharp is put in control of this little squad called the, you know, the Chosen Men, where they're, like, supposed to be crack shots. They're supposed to be, like, right. particularly good soldiers. So they've all been recognized for their excellence, right, and given, like, one stripe, which I, I think is, right. like, kind of like corporal, although maybe it's not actually corporal. Um, yeah, there's a whole thing about Chosen Man being this sort of, like, official, unofficial position in the British military. Right. But in this, I think they're, they're kind of like an early proto version of what we think of today as a special forces unit. Right. Like they're not just, okay, you have 10 regiments on the line and yeah. this is the fifth regiment. They're often sent like behind enemy lines to do something or to go to a scouting mission or sometimes much to Sharp's objections, a spying mission. Right, exactly. And and they um, – so Harper kind of becomes – he becomes the elevated one within them the way, you know, Sharp's been risen out of the ranks to become an officer. Um, right. And their dynamic, I, I think, is really interesting. I think we can get into more later. Um, mm-hmm. And then Brian Cox also is in the series as a, a spy master, you know. Yes. Basically, I guess, playing the same role as in The Born Identity and The Long Kiss Goodnight. Uh- <laughs> and, and for anyone who, who wants a more recent uh, – that actor isn't playing, uh, he's Logan Roy, the the titular father character in Succession. Oh, okay. um, and so it's kind of fun hearing his very distinct voice – uh, in a very different kind of a role. Yeah, yeah. And he and Harper are both Irish, as is Wellesley. 
um, or at least part Irish, right? And so right. there's this whole, you know, dynamic of what role do the Irish have in the British army, you know, when, right. when, you know, the British are going around liberating countries from, you know, Napoleon's conquest. But it's like, I feel like the series, the novels and the, the shows are like interested in that, but not too interested in it. You know, like, yeah. Um, like, in the first movie, and we'll talk about some specific issues, but I think this may be a good way to get into this one. In the first movie, I remember saying at the end of it to, to Paul, I don't know if this was intentional, but I found myself rooting for the French. Hmm. Um, and the reason for it is one of the things that Napoleon – Napoleon is a figure who I think – I think is often presented, particularly because our education is mostly like English-based – I think is more negatively perceived in at least the education I got than is fair. But I also think that therefore there was the response to it can be, oh no, he was great and wonderful, which is just as wrong, I think. I think it's like, he was like Stalin kind of, right? <laughs> no? Or uh, I, I would think of Stalin as so. much, much, much worse. Okay. Um, okay, fair, fair. I just meant in terms of well what I mean is that I feel like Stalin is like portrayed as this villain in the US education mm-hmm. system. And then a lot of people are like, oh, but maybe some of those aren't, aren't so bad. So, like, maybe he was the good guy. And it's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, both extreme. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I think, like, to me, like, Napoleon was one of a number of European rulers at various points in this time who tried to conquer large amounts of land. Right. And tried to conquer large amounts of people. And, like, that's not cool, as you said. And on the one hand, he was carrying out a lot of the French Revolution's ideas. Mm-hmm. And he brought, um, like, he pushed back on the papacy in a lot of places, and that's a big plot point in some of the Spanish episodes. Um, <clears throat> he brought uh, a much more specific rule of law as opposed to absolute monarchy, and the Napoleonic Code is still used as the basis of law in France and a couple of other countries. Um, it, in many ways, he was a product of the Enlightenment and Enlightenment thought in terms of, like, more rational, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like what we think of as, like, not liberal as the word is used today, but like the classical kind of idea of liberal as a like constitutionally based government as opposed to absolute rule. There was a lot of that, but he was also an absolute ruler. <laughs> right. And he certainly dialed back on some of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in this particular episode, the first episode, um, we come to learn that they're working alongside among a, uh, one of the Spanish loyalists who's loyalist to the original king, Ferdinand, fighting against the French uh, – uh, chosen uh, Joseph Bonaparte, Napoleon's brother. But one of our main antagonists is this guy's brother. And this and the brother is saying, no, no, no. Napoleon didn't conquer Spain. He liberated Spain. Mm-hmm. And he liberated Spain, among other things, from the papacy, uh, which it was, as you said, a very theological country uh, that he's bringing reason and, and like those ideas. And he at one point says like, you know, he's talking to Sharp and to his brother and he says, your Spain is a Spain of soldiers and monks, of co- uh, cold monasteries. Mine is a Spain of science and diplomacy, of, you know, court of education and enlightenment and things like that. And and that's what I was like, I like your Spain a lot better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the truth is, I mean, I think like, and that's, you know, the majority of the Spanish people were against that vision of Spain. So it was like a liberation war. Uh, that was also in part because they were very very, you know, immersed in Catholic ideology and like that's a problem in, in a lot of ways. I don't mean that as an attack on Catholicism. I mean that any kind of theocracy. 
And I think, like I said, I think the movie uses that as a plot point to give you some pathos between this fight between the brothers. But it's pretty clear that the English supporting one is going to win and that we're supposed to feel happy about that. And I, I think that the way you put it is very accurate that like it's using the Napoleonic Wars as a backdrop, but there are specific issues it wants to comment on, such as class, but the Napoleonic Wars itself are not really one of them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and one character that I, I left out is the like leader of the, I guess, guerrillas, basically, right? Or the right. Um, uh, Teresa. Partisans. Yeah, partisans. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and she, I think, is a really – like, I think she's probably the best female character in the series. Um, <laughs> Teresa? Yeah. And yeah. – she yeah. She's a spy. Uh, she works for kind of like the Spanish underground. Yeah. And she eventually falls in love with Sharp and they get married and have a daughter. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, I, I, the, the, the series isn't, isn't the best in terms of, you know, <laughs> female characters and women. And, um, and I guess the daughter is the only other female character. Shark doesn't, you know, boink, but like. <laughs> No, there are some characters who other officers or other people. Oh, right. Exactly. Who's that? No, I mean, besides the ones who are attached to, you know, but it is, (laughs) you know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I mean, how would you, I I feel like even having like Teresa as a character is like certainly an effort to try to be like, okay, let's not just have this be all about men and like the women are only attached to men. And because like when you think about the era, it's like, ah, geez, like if you're telling a story specifically about the war and the armies, it's like, yeah, most of your characters are going to be male and most of them are going to be very misogynistic, you know? And yeah. I I think you're right. Like Teresa is – a character who I think is in four uh, four of the episodes, so. and it's a long arc. Like with her and Sharp, they slowly get to know each other. They slowly fall for each other, and their their relationship and her character is really developed over a number of episodes. And then, uh, not even when she dies, but before before she dies, um, there's also just a series of women who get taken capture and Sharp uh, rescues, and then wind up sleeping with him um, or not. One quite. F- there's at least uh, one where they – what? You mean before? There's one he rescues before. You're right. He doesn't sleep with. Yeah, there's yeah. one he rescues in the same episode where Teresa dies. Oh, it's yeah. very interesting. He never has to deal with a moment of did he just cheat on her because she immediately gets killed. Um, yeah, yeah. And and then later there, – there's even a scene where he rescues someone from a nunnery and who clearly has already decided she's going to reward him because as she's running out with him, she says, goodbye. I'm about to commit a whole bunch of adultery. <laughs> But yeah, I think I think Teresa it's always hard when you're talking about the way a show talks about an issue that we think of very differently today from the time it was told. And these I think have the like with a lot of comic books where they're written I think about 20 years earlier and then made, mm-hmm. you know, but still also like more than 20 years ago. And I think overall the treatment of women is pretty bad. Um and some of that's historically accurate and some of it's also like but still um the possible essay of a woman character is a plot point in every single episode that I've seen, yeah. which is definitely not the best. It's not to Game of Thrones level because most often it's a threat, but still it's like, come on. We know that's a part of the, the story, but you don't have to keep right, right. it. Right, right. It doesn't have to be every single time. I do feel like yeah. maybe they slow down with that a little bit as it goes on, but like, you know. Okay. 
I'm not, I can't guarantee it. <laughs> but I do really like Teresa as a character because I think, I think in those early episodes, especially when Sharp is really finding himself, all three of the characters you mentioned, Teresa, Hogan, and Brian Cox, who no, that, his that is just so dominant. Like, uh, Hogan. Uh, Harper. Yeah, Hogan, Harper, yeah. And, and Teresa. That's it. Thank you. They all, I think, are in different ways helping him to grow into the character he becomes. Yeah. And so let's start with sort of who he is. Let's talk about how is how his struggles with class and how that is presented in the military is shown, especially in that first episode. Yeah. I mean, you know, his backstory is like he was born into, you know, his mom was was a prostitute and she got murdered, I think, when he was like three. And then he grew up in an orphanage and then he grew up on the streets and then he joined the army because it's like, what else are you going to do kind of if you're, yeah. you know, broke and, you know, don't have any family. And um, and so, yeah, he's just like he's a soldier out of like what else is he going to do sort of right yeah. like out of he he needs a job or a, a to feel like he has a purpose i guess you know and right. and it doesn't feel like he like is super motivated by england and this and that and whatever it's like for him he's just he's a career soldier you know and yeah. um yeah he's not there's never big patriotic moments he's never sort of he never says i think let's do this for king and country right. it's really about he creates this camaraderie and brotherhood among his troops. And then really it's about like fighting for his troops. Right. Exactly. He's very much, you know, and so he becomes, you know, a, a, a soldier's officer basically. Right. Which makes a lot of sense and sort of does underscore like, yeah, you probably should learn to be a soldier before you learn to be an officer, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but in the first episode, there's a thing where the whole plot is like that. The one brother who, you know, supports the, the monarchy and, and, and the papacy wants to like put this flag of Santiago and like wave it and thinks there's going to like be an uprising, right? It's going to like ignite Spain right. basically. And, you know, Sharp's like, you, like you think men will fight and die for a rag on a pole, like, and, 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 and specifically I just want to say the rag is, it's associated with a story from a thousand years yeah. ago that apparently it's the blood of this like martyred saint who fought for Spain. And so it's very much a religious symbol. Yeah. And that's part of, I think, what Sharp objects to. Right. And then Hogan's like, you do, Sharp. You do. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's true, but it's also kind of not true, you know? Um, yeah. there's, there's just, there's one Hogan line that I just, I, sorry, this is a complete tangent, but like, this is Hogan kind of bending the truth a little bit. There's a spot where Wellesley like, is like, do you think such and such? And Hogan's like, no. <laughs> and then Wellesley's like, you're a liar, Hogan. He's like, that's what you pay me for. <laughs> yes. Very true. Very true. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, the idea of like fighting for your country, fighting for your king, you know, fight, like, Sharp's fighting for the army that he's in because that's what he does. You know, it's like, yeah. it's almost like a, it's a purpose that's its own purpose. And he always wants to try and keep his men alive. There's a lot of like training scenes, you know, mm -hmm. where, where he's like, you know, if you do what you're doing now, you're going to get killed. So I'm going to teach you to do this other thing. And then you'll, you might still get killed, but you'll be less likely to get killed and you'll be more likely yeah. to achieve your objective, you know? And, um, yeah, I really enjoy it in the first episode how, like, Teresa is, like, teaching him. But she's a leader of a group, right? And he's right. just become a leader. He's been a sergeant, you know? Like, the first thing we see him say is give an order, 
The first thing he says is, right. you know, eyes down, lads, you know, when Wellesley comes by. Because, like, you're not even supposed to look at the officers or at the higher, right. you know, general or whatever. But, like, um, you know, he he's he's just – he's had this, like, hard life and he's – He's a soldier, soldier, but now he's a soldier's officer. And like, you know, he gains the respect of Harper by beating the crap out of him. And they beat the crap out of each other, you know? And then like Hogan tries to kill him and he's like, okay, we're going to take you back to Portugal to get shot by a firing squad. And then like Harper does some heroic thing, even though he really doesn't have to. And then Sharp's like, all right, fall in. And the other guy's like, you know, don't you want him to give you some, you know, big reward? And, and Harper's like, he did. He told me to fall in, you know? <laughs> and yeah. like, he's just, I feel like he's a character who he's like, he's learning how to be an officer, but like he already, yeah. he can empathize with the people he's commanding in a way yeah. that really no other officer that we see can actually empathize with them. He understands their actual jobs as well. And one thing I really liked about that first story is that like, when I saw the setup, I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be about how he's a better officer than the other officers because he understands the soldiers, etc. But he's pretty terrible at first. Oh, yeah. And yeah. in part, I think trying to f- – like, because he's only seen bad uh, examples of officers yeah. for the most part, yeah. he winds up doing some of the things that they do. Like, it's – a clear part of his backstory is that he at one point was whipped, uh, mm-hmm. flogged, as they call it, for a crime that he didn't commit. And – Early in the movie, uh, Harper winds up getting into this really hard combat situation where instead of like properly loading his rifle all three times, he winds up one point just like shoving the ramrod yeah. in and then firing that and using the ramrod itself as a weapon. Yeah. And that's part of why he not only stays alive, but saves the thing they're supposed to be saving. Yeah. Which is the and aforementioned later, banner. Yeah. Sharp comes along. And all he sees is that, like, something went wrong with his rifle and the ramrod and is like, oh, you did this wrong. I'm punishing you for it. And it was a really interesting moment of, like, oh, like, Sharp screwed that up. And I think it's a very understated way, which is, you know, very common for English stuff especially. And I I kind of like it. It's not – there's never a specific moment where Sharp is like, I was wrong. But I think he clearly – he starts asking Harper what happened instead of just assuming. And he starts listening to him. And then taking him seriously. And I think that that's meant at like part of why Harper is okay with it is because Harper comes to recognize that Sharp has grown past that and realized his mistake. And then for most of the later movies, at least that I've seen so far, including one where I really thought Harper was going to die and I was very mad about it, but he didn't die. um, Harper becomes his second in command and really the person he talks to about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I just really like that they got the, we got to see his growth of him being like kind of a terrible officer and growing through it. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. I mean, I th- it's always, you know, th- this is a series that to me shows a lot of the things that I want to see in things when I'm like, ah, I feel like someone is already doing something that I'm like, I want to see them learn that, you know, and then I want to see them do it. I don't want to see them struggle with it every single time, you know, like, yep. you know, I, I didn't, once you find your identity, like be happy with it, be that and, you know, be that person. Right. But it's like yep. the story of how someone gets there is, is also interesting. And it's worth noting that I believe was the ninth novel written 
Um, mm, interesting. But they made it, it's chronologically first of the, you know, the Napoleonic War novels. Um, and they made it the first episode because it, it does show the backstory, you know, but the yeah. series originally, you know, he was already this guy. You know, and the, right. I mean, the, the, in the novels, when they started the novels, you know, Bernard Cornwall, like, was like, you know, this is the character I want, you know, and it would be like, you know, if you write your first James Bond and it's like, okay, this is Bond, but then you're like, okay, now I'm going to go and do kind of, so th- that episode was like, actually, it's kind of like a prequel, <laughs> you know, it's just, they filmed yep. it first. Um, and, and yeah, the thing with the ramrod, I, yeah, he's like yelling at him about it, but then he listens to what he has to say. And I kind of. I don't I, – I, I might have read the scene differently where I feel like he wasn't necessarily going to punish him for that. He wasn't – he kind of wanted to like get him to explain it in this sort of defensive way. And then he's like, mm-hmm. all right, fall in. Because that's when he says fall in and, the, you know, the, the other guy's like, don't you want a reward? And he's like, he did give me one. I mean, also he decided not to have him killed. You know, that's – Right. That's kind of. I, I thought the time, I thought the ramrod scene happened significantly earlier, but you may be right. No, that well, I, I'm definitely right about when it happened. Um, there might have been another um, thing where he says, basically, he says, you know, you have powder burns on your cheek, Harper. That's a sign of going off half cocked, basically, and because he right. he shot the the ramrod through one of the French who there were like. The the older the brother who who wants to yeah I, I, yeah I, I don't, don't want to get too lost in the details you may be right but either way yeah no I I am but <laughs> uh, no the okay <laughs> you have a time limit so let's not <laughs> yeah 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 no I yeah I don't have a time limit limit I have a, a time yeah okay <laughs> um can't hmm. okay let's just let's just move forward. <laughs> okay. What was the point you're trying to make? Um Yeah, the point I'm trying to make. Well, I'll just I'll just say a thing. Okay. So what happens in the scene before that confrontation between Sharp and Harper is the the brother who wants to uh, you know, get rid of the papacy and the monarchy has mm-hmm. two um soldiers with him, right? And he he says, you know, this bag of gold will be one of you will be rich and one will be dead because like he thinks he can only shoot one of them. And then one of them goes charging first, which seems like a really bad idea. He gets shot. Yeah. Harper reloads, but he's not really in time to reload. So he shoots and his ramrod, you know, hits the second one like through the throat or something. Um, right. And then there's the whole thing with Sharp that I, I'm, I'm not 100 percent certain exactly the sequence of their yeah. discussion. What? I think it says something positive about the movie that you and I can read that scene in somewhat different ways. Because, again, it's not hitting you over the head with it. It's, right. It's, it, there's a lot of subtlety to it. And as I think – I think part of the point is that both Sharp and Harper are both caught in this class system that is utterly ridiculous. And that now – because I remember being very surprised that Harper and all the others were so – like, I get some level of resentment, but just, like, utterly refusing to accept his authority. Mm-hmm. and. And do straight up mutiny. Yeah. That's why Hogan wants to send him home because he, he, he attacks him and, and just was like, no, I'm not going to follow your orders. And he's trying to get all the others to be like, no, we're marching south. We're going back home. Yeah. Yeah. And either you can come with us or we can kill you. Those are your options, basically. Yeah. Um, and then they fight and they fight really dirty. And there's this like, you know, oh, you fight dirty. And it's like, you fight dirty too. And it's like this admiration sort of thing. Yeah. Which I I felt like their their interaction there as like – 
Um, having done Taekwondo for a long time and having some higher ranking black belts at some point, like mm-hmm. people have these ideas about other people, right? And like we used to get together and just like beat the crap out of each other every Sunday. And like I remember distinct moments when somebody's sort of their perception or their like thought they're like, oh, you know, that like, oh, they actually were able to, you know, fight in this way. And yeah. And it it just felt very real in terms of I mean, I've never been in actual military, you know, but in terms of a group of people who spend a lot of time training and fighting, like there is this like when somebody hits you in a certain way and it's like there there is this respect that can come from that. And then like yeah. friendship, you know, as long as no one actually causes permanent harm to the other one. Yeah. <laughs> or doesn't. I think you mean. Right. I, um, yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't even know. I think that's really true. I think another part of it is, I think one of the things that the movies really play out, like we get a number of scenes where these military people, the officers who are gentlemen and often kind of foppish, and I think that word is used a couple of times, mm-hmm. they're not out there leading the charge. No. They're way behind. Yeah. And I think there's this, like, they really care about the nobility of warfare, mm-hmm. you know, and like all these men marching in a clean, pure line and then lining up and firing and then getting fired at and just being noble and good in a really stupid way of fighting a war. Yeah. And that unfortunately continues in the British military all the way up until World War One, and that's a bit there's tons of writing about that, about the, why World War One was so horrible in many militaries at the time. And I think part of the thing is that like because it's not the officers who are dying. Right. And they are so disconnected from the men who are dying like that. Mm-hmm. Like you said, these men don't even think they can look those officers in the eye, yeah. let alone complain to them. And I think that's part of what happens there is that Harper realizes like this guy this guy gets that we're not like they're snipers. They're hiding behind rocks. They're shooting. Yeah. They very rarely just stand out in the open and fire like that. When they do, it's because of the most dire circumstances. And I think that's another part of it is that like they sharp shares with that. And that all a lot of their friendship in later episodes is born out of like the officers giving them some really stupid order. And Harper's like, you're not going to make us do that, are you? And Sharp's like, no, no, no. We're going to figure something else right. out. Right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the workaround. Yeah, in terms of the officers too, I think I recall this didn't come up in the episodes that I rewatched just now. But I remember definitely from the books, like there's this whole thing about like you don't shoot at the officers. Like the yep. officers aren't a part of the battle. They are there to oversee it. And then, you know, and then they wave a little white flag and they're like, oh, let's parlay. And then it's like, okay, we'll go back uh, 10 minutes. Yes. We'll send the men to fight each other again in 10 minutes, you know? And it's like, yeah. you know, and Sharp's like, no, you shoot, you shoot the officer, you shoot the horse, you know, which like, I'm not in favor of that as uh, an animal advocate, but like, yeah, if you're in a war and there's someone on a horse, like if you can. Like, you probably do want to kill the horse and then it's going to fall over with the person on it. And, like, you know, again, not advocating it and, like, war bad, you know, <laughs> like, using horses yeah. in war bad. But, like, you know, strategy, like, once you have a, an end, it's like strategy is, you know, a thing. Yeah. No, and it's definitely true. And, like, The Patriot, which is an American movie with Mel Gibson, Mel Gibson's terrible. The movie's terrible. It it whitewashes slavery. It's horrible. But it does bring up that point that the, the British are very mad at him that he's targeting officers. Because, like, that's not how war should be fought. Right. It's supposed to be noble. And, like, there's one scene later with a truly ridiculous officer who gets mad that um, the men are cursing. <gasps> you know, men should right. use, like, yeah. decorous language and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, yeah, they're just – and it's, like, 
each individual movie plays it off in a different way, but in pretty much every movie, there's some sense of that, of the the nobility being just so out of touch and so ridiculous. And um, a recurring theme is sharp in later episodes is sharp seducing the wives of these noble men <laughs> right. who are clearly not satisfying their noble women. Right, right. Uh, and him being much more a earthy man of the, yeah, man of yeah. the people and yeah. is a... Uh, Internet. Yeah, and that, you know, that feels like a 1980s, 1990s kind of like more, you know, sort of tro- – yeah. I mean, not that that's not still a thing now, you know, but yeah. but I think it's m- – more people are more critical of like having that be the role of women in something to be like a prize or like a, you know, a way of right. like getting at some other man is, you know. Yeah. So – and, and, like, I think there's a lot of truth to the critique of the nobility of the time. But you can see kind of, like, something of a line from something like this to the today, like, no, you got to be a man's man. You got to know how to fix a truck, you know, not be one of those foppish city boys. Right, right. There's, so that's interesting to look at. Yeah. Um, You mentioned the fact that a number of the characters were Irish, which is something I, I know a good deal about. And I'd actually, from the year living in Ireland and some of the studies I'd done, uh, knew a lot about uh, Irish in this point in time. And Curious here start from you. So what what struck you about those three characters all being Irish and how that played out? I mean, not a lot. Like it's you know, it's it's interesting like Harper like why I mean, why does Harper join? Harper joins cuz he says, you know, freedom to starve is no freedom at all, you know. It's like Right. He wants a job. It's a way out, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of the other, you hear the backstories of the other chosen men and they're like, yeah, well, I could either stay in prison or they let me into the army, you know? And it's like, you know, yeah. a magistrate. And so, you know. so um, but like Wellesley and Hogan, I think are, um, their, their nobility, I guess, because um, they're officers, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, the, the opposite of that. But, um you know, I th- I do think it's interesting that like so many of the main characters are Irish, and that that or main characters are you know pivotal characters, and and I think that that's it. Sort of makes it feel a little bit less like the war is on behalf of like you know England. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they talk about like King George and whatever a bunch. Yeah. You know, but like in this kind of vague referential way, and not in a you know we're we're we really care what he's doing kind of way. Um. So so yeah, it it. I mean, I know I know you have more actual historical perspective on it, right? I, for me, mm-hmm. it's just kind of interesting things about their characters. Yeah, I think it definitely was, and I think it, it's an interesting part of the English Empire, uh, especially because I think he, he will cause a, a full discussion. Of his own, but another character winds up being an American mm. who was a he was a loyalist. So he fled the colonies after the revolution because he thought the, co- the revolution was wrong. Not an American, um, a Virginian, sir. Yes, <laughs> like he yes, says that, so. right? And and it certainly was true that like there were a lot of what they thought as colonials in the British military. Mm-hmm. Um, I think though with those different characters, what we're seeing is that the word Irish can mean a number of different things. In, um, in the English Empire, the British Empire at the time, um, and I think the, the characters are a couple of different levels. So, for one, um, there were a lot of English settlers in Engl- in right, Ireland. Yeah. That's obviously the source of a lot of the troubles and stuff. And a lot of them were English nobility. And um, my belief, my understanding is that Wellesley is one of those. Yeah. 
Um, there's a famous quote by Daniel O'Connell, who's a, uh, a very famous Irish patriot and uh, freedom uh, kind of early politician. And he said uh, about Wellington, he is not an Irishman. He was born in Ireland, but being born in a stable does not make a man a horse. Um, which I thought was a very, uh, you know, clearly someone with a very specific political agenda. But um, yeah, yeah, no, I mean uh, it's funny, but it's also it's like there, there's, it feels different because we're talking about you know the people descended from the occupying force compared to right. like you know it's like does being born in the United States not make you a United Statesian? Wait, the word's American, right? Um, well, yeah, because I mean, I'm like. I think we don't often think about Ireland is European, but Ireland is the only country in Europe, in Europe that was re- that was a colonizer rather than being part of like th- there were others that I think there's some degree to it, but certainly Ireland was a colony. A colony, in terms of like yeah, not o- a colonizer. Yeah, 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 and that there was a dis- distinct difference between the occupiers and the indigenous people, and then the yeah, the, them intermixing and things like that, and, and I think that's kind of where some of this is coming from. And so you had people like that, and I, I'm guessing if Hogan was an officer. Then he's either that, or he might even be an English, an Irish family that was like totally okay with the occupation, mm-hmm. and so became part of the nobility in Ireland or something like that. And then certainly you had a lot of people like Harper, who were, as I said before, you know, when the colonies are getting starved of all the resources and jobs, often you go to the the main place in order to find work. And certainly, an awful lot of Irish lived in England, um, and this is all the way up to like Peaky Blinders days, or even today. Um, who would still think of themselves as Irish and be treated very much as second-class citizens because they were Catholic and hold on to their Irish identity but still be English and thus drafted into an English regi- uh, regiment. Uh, as we later learn, uh, he eventually gets control of the um, company from South Essex, uh, which right. is a part of England where they're all from. Um, separate and opposed to that also... Because Ireland was a part of the British Empire, you did have full regiments that would, from Ireland, mm. go off to fight. Right. Many of whom were probably constricted, many of whom were uh, conscripted, I mean, many of whom probably were going because they just had a hunger. But because this war was seen as, by many, an attack on the papacy by the French and things like that, uh, when I was in Ireland, there's actually a lot of, like, you know... Um, statues to and reverence for the brave Irish volunteers who fought to protect the faith in Spain. Right. Um, there's a great song called Fare Thee Well, Enniskillen, uh, one of my favorite Irish folk songs, and it's about uh, the Enniskillen Dragoons, uh, a group of Irishmen who went to go fight for the uh, English military. So, yeah, so it's a very interesting thing, and, I, and I, I do really like the way that plays out because I think Sharp is definitely not that, but the... Um, the Irishness is, is very subtly commented on, but I think you're right. It's very much there and a part of this whole, like, we are the people who are kicked around, not the people who get to do the kicking. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting um, historical perspective. Um, and that's that's sort of – that's one of the things that I like about this series is that, like, overall, it's, it's a series of, like, fun adventure tales, basically, right? But, yeah. like, it has – it wears, like, a coat of historic – you know, historical – Fiction, right? right. I mean, of yeah. like this historical context. And I, one of the things I think is powerful about historical fiction compared to like biopics, like I really just don't, I don't like things that are like, 
I, I'll go away from like what I don't like, but like I enjoy how this is a series of stories that are like here are stories that like I totally made up about there's some historical figures and then there's some, you know, right made up characters. But like I, I the thing I like about it is I feel like it's more likely to kind of spark interest compared to something that feels like it's trying to tell you this is what happened. And then yeah. I, I, I'm like, there's a couple reasons I like the latter, the, the, the first, the former better is just like, I like having my interest sparked instead of like, you know, being like, this is, this is exactly the story. But also like, I think if something sparks your interest, then you can investigate and you can learn yeah. at kind of your own, like, find different sources. Whereas I think a lot of historical stuff, and, you know, this might do some of them as well, but but a lot of things that are like, here's the history of whatever, and it's like a film that's not a documentary, it, like, I think can often give a false sense of, like, knowing, like, what really happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and like, then not, and then if that leads to exploration, you know, that's great too. Yeah. No, I think that's really true. And I, I, I hear why you, you label biopics as like the problem in that. I do think there's some biopics that do a better job of it and some that do worse and some, as you say, like a retelling of actual events that are just as bad that aren't biopics. Um, but I very much get the point you're making there. And I think having it be based on real people, but like basically it's one of those kind of like he winds up there for being – a key part of every important thing the English did throughout the entire war. Right. Which makes no sense Yeah, of whatsoever. course, of course. <laughs> but it's a way to sort of give, like, it's hard to tell a movie about an army. Yes. Like, because the whole point is it's not individual combat. It's not one sniper. It's hundreds of thousands of men on each side shooting at each other. Yeah. And finding more and more scientifically ways to blow each other up. Yeah. Go back and listen to our episode about Gojira. Gojira, <laughs> aka Godzilla, if you want to hear our thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I think it's like, it, it, I agree with it. It's it's a fun piece of historical fiction that opens that door. And I'll certainly say, I'd already learned a lot about this, but I definitely like was going to websites and learning a lot of, more about Napoleon and, and well, uh, Wellesley, Wellington, and, and these other figures because of, this, because of these shows. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it inspired me to like actually get a book about history, like the history of the world, and then read it, and then be just incredibly depressed that the history of the world is basically <laughs> just people acquiring power and then abusing it to oppress people, and then there's like sometimes there's a revolution, and then the people who led the revolution end up doing their own form of oppression, and then someone else conquers them, and then it's like, oh my goodness. But then again, that's like that's a way of telling history, right? Like that's not. That's not all the history. There's a lot of stories that happened along the way that like aren't in histories, you know, as maybe like a people's history, um, which yeah. I still want to read. Um, yeah, because certainly it's generally about like Napoleon did this and Wellington did this and maybe this other general did this, but it's never about like the individual people on the ground. Right, exactly. So let's talk a bit about the specific person I mentioned, um, Colonel Thomas Leroy, who is the yeah. uh, Virginian – uh, it, it is very funny how, like, I think often we in the, uh, the United States, I in the United States, I, Paul does not. I am in the United fight. States. That is factually <laughs> accurate. I think we're often taught that the American colonies breaking away from England and then fighting another war against them in 1812 yeah. were like these seminal moments in English history. Right. Um, my understanding is that from the English perspective, it's quite different. And- 
it's probably maybe a little more significant than sometimes it's presented as, but certainly a lot less than we're presented as. And in these, um, like the fact that they had lost the American colonies fairly recently is almost never discussed. Um, in some of the later episodes that I'm watching now that take place in 1813, 1814, England is now at war with the United States again, the War of 1812. Yeah. And that's nowhere on the – I mean, because from our perspective, it was a major war. From the English perspective, it was this like little sideline of a war that was being fought in all these different places in the world. Yeah. Spoilers, that does come up more specifically later, but I won't – Okay, yeah. cool. Well, and so we're introduced to this character in – I believe it's the second episode. Yes. Uh, Colonel Thomas Leroy, who is... I think he's a captain, he's a very, Captain Leroy, but yeah. Okay, I, 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 Wikipedia is telling me Lieutenant Colonel, but he might... Oh, maybe he gets promoted in the series. <laughs> I yeah. Know. I found him very interesting because we, we are told that he was a slave owner. As yeah. he said, he has all this gold because of slavery, molasses, and rum. Yeah. And uh, he clearly has no shame about it. And for the most part, no one else is judging him for it. Um, England did... I think even by then had outlawed the slave trade and, you know, had offered to free slaves as part of the fight against mm -hmm. the American colonies mm -hmm. um, in the Revolutionary War. But clearly in the military, no one is being like, oh, my God, you're a slave owner. You're terrible. Sharp at the very end of the episode mm -hmm. has a comment about like, well, your, your gold came from slavery and that's not really great. But in a lot of the episode, like I think there's an episode – well, I was going to say I think it's an episode where Sharp gets into trouble. That always <laughs> – Yeah, I'm like, which um, one? But Leroy is kind of defending him a lot and is presented as a, like, he is not an antagonist by any means. Yeah. Um, and he's presented as a, like, more sympathetic than a lot of the other officers, which I just thought was a very interesting way to portray a slave owner. Um, right. And again, I think that, like, you know, for a British perspective, not American, 40 years ago written and then 20 years ago, whereas today I think we're much, you know, all the stuff about, like, ac wanting to accurately teach slavery – uh, in schools, uh, slaves the, the slaves history did not of benefit. yeah, slaves <laughs> did not benefit from being slaves. Uh, contrary to what certain states might want to teach, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm kind of curious how that struck you. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was interesting. I think I feel like you know they are trying. He's a likable character, you know, in terms yeah. of what he does within the context of the episode, and. You know, but he also is party to despicable acts, right? Right. And, and you know, involved in a despicable system of, of atrocities. And I think that's very real. I'm yeah. sure there – like, I think just like hanging out, going to a baseball game with like George W. Bush would probably be – as long as we didn't discuss politics, like a pretty chill, relaxing, fun thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But like the dude did some things <laughs> that are unconscionable, you know? And like that's true about I think m many of the people who do unconscionable things, many of them with, you know, less power than, you know, the ostensible leader of the free world for eight years. But like – Mm -hmm. are like on a personal level and also on a on a more specific level like capable of just of doing good things too like that's how people are you know it is hard to be a successful leader without some degree of charisma right it's possible for sure depending on what your power base is yeah. but often some degree of charisma is a big part of what gets people to your side yeah and you know it's 
I think reading that book is where I learned the word laconic. Um, cause like every time they talk about an American character, they describe them as being laconic and <laughs> interesting, <laughs> but like it, it, it's, you know, I think he's meant to be like, to sort of show this other, you know, kind of mm-hmm. perspective. Right. But yeah. then sharp, you know, sharp does call him out on it, you know, at the, at yeah. the end. And, and, but at the same time, like nobody else does. You know, and it's yeah. like, it's not super consequential <clears throat> that what, you know, I mean, what Sharp says, what he says, but like, <clears throat> it's like, okay, yeah, you know, he's still going to be, but, um, but that's yeah. the thing. Like probably most of the, the loyalists were slave owners, right? Like that was the main, or no, maybe it's not. I don't know. You know what? I, I'm, yeah. I rescind this, con- let that be stricken from the record. Um, but like it, you know, being, I don't know. I don't know. That that is there's a whole can of whatever when it comes to like the the American yeah. Revolution and you know how how that maybe preserved the the um yeah. right the system of slavery. Like, I I know a couple of years ago I read this really great article. I wish I could find it again. It was it, this wasn't the title, but it was I think in the subtitle or something like that. It was like you know, basically it was Black Lives Matter through a British lens. And mm. it was a a black a black English person or a black British person yeah. talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and how it's playing out in England and in, in Great Britain. And, and one of the things I remember that they talked about at length was how, you know, Britain has never really wanted to wrestle with its own racist problems. It's been starting to. But that one of the biggest – one of the things that would often happen is like they were very quick to be like America had – and among other things, right. like slavery, slavery was American and – to kind of write it off as, and you know, again, yeah, as it, it, Paul's making a face yeah, right yeah, now because yeah. it was British ships that yeah. brought those slaves over yeah. for an awful long time. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the and, British colonies in America, like, yeah. right? I mean, it's like you can't, you know, oh, that's not, that wasn't us. Exactly, exactly. Nor were um, uh, the, the Africans who were brought into, uh, you know, Caribbean islands and things like that, again, by the British to British colonies, right. treated well by any means yeah. whatsoever. Uh, they were also all intended purposes of slavery. I think I think that system of slavery was so, slightly or somewhat different than what happened in America, but still just as horrible and atrocities and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, so I I don't know anywhere near about it. If people do know more, please let write in low. But I in that understanding of kind of an English writing off of of slavery and racism as more of an American thing, I found this character very interesting in that lens. And so it's one thing I want to learn more about. Yeah, for sure, for sure. There, there's one other actor in that episode that i'm wondering whether you you spotted i i the, saw all five of them in like two days yeah yeah, and yeah so yeah. like i probably i spotted a number of actors was like oh it's that person and then immediately forgot yeah yeah so, yeah. so there's so, speaking of james bond daniel craig plays one of the officers who tries to off sharp at one point in the oh, second I totally missed yeah that. yeah i was like that dude looks so familiar but this is in like <laughs> 1993 or something you know so he's like much yeah. younger um yeah anyway i'm even sean bean like sean bean already looks like grizzled and war weary but he's so young in these yeah yeah he's in his scenes. 30s you know yeah so all right well i think this is gonna be a shorter episode and we will talk more about sean bean in our patreon section uh, and I think, you know, if people are interested in these, let us know, because I think we could do some great analysis of, like, some of the individual movies. But, Paul, is there anything else about the character in general you wanted to, to bring up? 
Um, I, th- I mean, I think we, we mostly covered the things I would have to say about, about the character. I mean, there's, there's so many movies. I only rewatched the first two, you know, and, and uh-huh. the rest of these, it's been 25 ish years since I saw and read yeah. them. So, um, yeah, I, one, just one note that I would, um, throw in is that they're largely filmed in, in Crimea. Um, which oh, that's interesting. seems really interesting. To debt, right? It's like there's there's a little bit of a, a I mean, parallel there. A, the English fought a war with Russia called the Crimean War yeah, yeah. in Crimea. Yeah. And then, right, yeah, like Russia has taken control of Crimea. Uh, and that's like the, if you think about the Odessa ports and the, the fight to reopen the Odessa ports and all that, that's right by Crimea. Yeah. It's, it's that area. So. And using the yeah. pretense that there are Russians there who want to be part of Russia as opposed to right. Ukraine, right? That was a big part of the, I mean, to what extent that's a pretense? I'm sure there's like some people, right? But like, it was it enough people, you know, and I feel like that's a little bit of a parallel to the, you know, the, the French in Spain and not saying it's the same thing, right? But there's just a little, it's just kind of funny. Um, I mean, yeah. you know, in the way that war is. <laughs> the very sad, dark, but at times funny, humorous irony. Yes. Exactly. Uh, I, I am a big believer in in finding those moments because uh, or else it's all just so horribly depressing. Exactly. Um, exactly. I do want to I, I want to close just by saying a word or two about the uh, inspiration for this character. Uh, there's probably a lot, you know. I, I haven't read much about what the author said, and I think I think James Bond was definitely a part of it. But there, where's a real life man named John Ship? Uh, it was not completely unheard of to elevate an officer uh, from the ranks, but it was rarely done. Uh, John Ship, though, is particularly noteworthy because he did it twice. Um, he was uh, a sergeant. He fought in uh, – notably, uh, nowhere does in his history do they talk about fighting in Spain. He did most of his fighting in India and then was now Nepal and some of that area up there, uh, fighting almost entirely uh, you know, wars of enforcing British colonialism. Uh, but he did, he did something heroic. He volunteered for a heroic mission – was successful in it, was promoted to an officer. Uh, apparently, it kind of, like, went to his head. He went back to England and, like, gambled a lot and, like, could not afford to be an officer, basically. And so, kept all these different schemes and lost all of his money. And, uh, you know, I think it was I went to jail at some point, was stripped of his rank. Uh, and then, like, 10 years later, he re-enlisted in the British Army, was again made his way up to sergeant, and then again did something heroic and was again promoted to officer. Hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah, there's just a really uh, crazy, crazy story about Mr. Ship. Mm. And uh, apparently he then, like, like he wrote an autobiography and, like, other people have written yeah. books about him. Like, he's a pretty well-known character. Awesome. Uh, in British military, so. Yeah, that, that sounds like a, a worthy inspiration. That I'm sure uh-huh. someone writing historical fiction is going to be like, oh, hmm, that seems yeah. like an, an idea for a story. Um, there, there is one more thing on the character well, that occurred. Oh no, go ahead. Can I, I just want to say yes. Uh, and so, the last thing I'll say about the character, the real life person, Jim Ship, and this is Paul. One that I, I started to read the sentence and had a lot this paragraph and was very, very concerned. But it turned out actually pretty good because, as it's described, his first actual military posting was in South Africa, and so his first major engagement was against baboons. Um. And what wound up happening was, the, like, they were in an area and the baboons were, like, circling around them and throwing excrement at them and otherwise sort of harassing them. And uh, uh, as he writes it, 
They, the baboons, observed my movement and immediately detached about 50 to guard the entrance, while the others kept their post and we could distinctly see them collecting large stones and other missiles. One old gray-headed one, who we'd seen before nicknamed Father Murphy, was seen distributing the orders and planning their attack. Uh, this is clearly rather fanciful, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, not entirely unknown. A scream from Mother Murphy signaled the start of the encounter. A host of baboons under his command rolled down enormous stones on us that we were obliged to give up the contest, or some of us must inevitably have been killed. They actually followed us to our doors, shouting their victory cry. So he did. They didn't like fight the baboons. They didn't kill the baboons. According to his memoirs, they just like ran away. They were routed by baboons. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. <laughs> so yeah, and that is from the memoirs of John Ship, page forty-two and forty-three. Oh dear. Um, All right. Uh, Paul, what's the last thing you want to say about the character and then we'll wrap up? Yeah, just the last thing is about, you know, um, so Sean Bean played the character while the novel series was ongoing, but the earlier novels had been out for like about a dozen years or so. And um, the author, Cornwell, was so impressed with Bean's portrayal that um, he he changed the character's backstory or expanded the backstory to, to have him be um, growing up in Yorkshire to because you know to to match Bean's accent and then mm-hmm. also stopped mentioning that the character had black hair because you know Bean's blonde and he he basically was like I'm gonna let the books <clears throat> kind of um, I like match that. you know like so that. as as art imitates art imitates history or something. And I particularly like that because you said he's he's not from South Essex, he's from Yorkshire. Yeah. John Ship is from is from Essex. Essex. Oh, okay. So yeah. That's where that detail got in there. So yeah, it's kind of cool that it moved from the historical inspiration to the actors. Yeah, and I think both of those were worked in basically because Sharp yeah. moved around because you know no yeah. family. So great discussion, Paul. Thank you so much for recommending this to our listeners. What do you think? Would love to hear your thoughts, feedback. Um, we, uh, we're getting a, a lot of the stuff we've gotten is for stuff that Paul hasn't watched yet. So I'm going to do spoilers for those things on other episodes. But keep the feedback coming. We love to see it. You can find all the ways to reach us by going to theethicalpanda.com. Most importantly there, you'll also find our Patreon content. You'll also find all this in the show notes. Patreon is what keeps this going. Um, listen to earlier articles, episodes. We talk a lot more about why this is so important right now. But important to note, we are donating 25% of all the Patreon income to the strike fund to help support the actors and the writers and and everyone else who's being affected by these strikes, which is just really a lot of people. Um, part of why we're covering stuff like this is that I'm not covering any content made by the Hollywood studios. So we're covering, you know, Japanese movies and British stuff and uh, looking all over the world. A lot of great indie movies that I want us to cover. Uh, I just saw a great list of them that included some ones that I did not know were indie, including Memento, for example. So we might do a, some content on Memento. Um, but yeah, there's lots of great stuff. Support our Patreon. It's a great way to help support us. You get ad-free content. Uh, but just look for ethical pan- The Ethical Panda. You'll find all my stuff. Look for Zen Madman. You'll find all of uh, Paul's stuff. Uh, and I hope you sign up for the Patreon. But if not, thank you so much for listening. We have spoken. Bye.